Hi, I'm Larry Reed, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and in person with me this time in studio, as it were, in studio is Norman Horn. Ta-da! And we're going to talk about stuff. Really yeah. important stuff to libertarians and well, to libertarian Christians. Perhaps we should introduce this with one other thing first. So like, why are we in the same studio today? We are in the same studio. And by studio, we really mean my office. Doug's basement. Room. Yeah. yeah, my <laughs> Doug's basement <laughs> office. Uh, so we just wanted to get together so that we could uh, keep LCI great. Awesome. So we have we have all kinds of things we'd like want to talk about on air, as it were, because we're not live. I guess it's still the air. I don't know. Is it? Because it's I guess not over the radio waves. We're projecting ourselves over the internet. It's like I say, I'm recording video. I'm it's like filming over I'm the fiber optics. Over the fibers. <laughs> over the fibers. <laughs> all right. So we we could debate that, I suppose, but I have no idea what I'm talking about in that realm, and you do. So <laughs> well, we're just uh, going to have some fun. We'll just we'll just have some fun talking about minarchism and anarchism. So why are we doing this? So I have been having conversations with people over the past several months, and it has occurred to me that I get further with them. I've noticed that I get further with them when I make minarchist claims and counterarguments to their statist progressive claims, or even just conservative claims that are non-libertarian. It seems like I get further in the conversation when I pose as a minarchist instead of an anarchist. And so it be. I just think it's kind of cool to talk about that phenomenon. And why is that the case? Is that something that's just more rhetorically powerful to be? If you are an anarchist, act like a minarchist when you're talking, or when when do you act like an anarchist because you are one? Because you know, I, I'll just admit here, I personally think that the better option would be anarchism. It's more consistent. It actually takes all of the elements of the non-aggression principle seriously across the board and doesn't allow exceptions. Uh, However, again, it's just like, well, but when I make that argument, it just seems too crazy for people. So why am I better at arguing rhetorically for minarchism when I'm dealing with statists? That's the question we just want to discuss here. Yeah, so I guess it's more generically, this is almost like what's a, what is an optimized rhetorical strategy for when you're talking with people? Yeah about the role of the state and at least where we're trying to go as as libertarians as it pertains to reformulating the world around us in a way that fits with a libertarian philosophy. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I guess generically, you know, from my point of view, like I'm going to tend to want to drive toward a conversation leading to understanding the non-aggression principle, like from a philosophical level rather than a policy level almost Mm -hmm. at first. So I'm almost not as interested in just dealing with policy right off the bat, but rather talking straight up ethics and principles before I get to, you know, strictly speaking, a policy declaration, if you will. Yeah. And so maybe that's the difference in approach for me. I mean, I've had... Even in the past week and a half, I've had two conversations where really what ended up, I mean, it's very interesting because in both cases, 
it started off as very just principled ethical discussion about where I was going and then ended up like kind of segueing into even to a large extent talking about the gospel for that matter, um, which is an interesting phenomenon in and of itself. How did I get from politics to the gospel? But the more you can do that, the better I, I think, hey, that's wonderful as Christians. We should be totally driving to that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a, a, a byproduct of the way that I'm rhetorically going about even talking about liberty at times. But, you know, at least for me, while policy is important, I'm going to be probably driving my rhetoric and argumentation strategy toward a discussion of ethical principles yeah. and non-aggression principle and then letting that kind of bleed into other stuff, namely policy Yeah, at yeah. that point. Well, that's usually where I lead in the conversation is you talk about non-aggression or you you bring up more specifically, if I'm talking to leftists, I bring up nonviolence or I might even use the word pacifism and I'll say things like I'm, you know, well, I believe in zero violence, so I'm a true pacifist or whatever. You get into <laughs> those principles where they agree, I should say. It's, again, imagining the people on the left that I often talk to and they do not like violence. They're against war, at least the, the practical person that I, yeah. <laughs> well, purportedly, I, you know, I think most of the people I talk to are actually against war. They don't complain as loudly when, when it's a Democrat doing it, but they are, you know, idealistically, yeah. ideologically, I should say, in against war. However, and so I, I kind of use that as like, well, you agree with this. And so why not apply that to more yeah, things? Okay, and, okay. And then it's, they're like, oh, well, that's just too far. I can't do that. That's too far. You know, Romans 13, <laughs> of course, you know, uh, so, or some other verse or whatever, or, you know, even people who are pretty principled against war, like Brian Zahn, will also talk a little bit about in favor of civil government. And it has to do with, you know, something more local and so forth. Sure. So you have to... It, to make headway in the conversation that libertarianism is consistent with a number of their you know, theological viewpoints and is more amenable to the outcomes they want to see as people who are seeking the kingdom of God. Okay, I, well, so, I so do hold kind on of jump back Wait, and forth here a bit. Well, you just you, – so it's interesting that you just brought this up as you're talking to people with theological principles. So you're speaking specifically to Christians at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Most, most certainly with Christians. Okay. I – uh, personally, I'm trying to think who I argue with on online with. It's usually Christian leftists and, you know, other people who think they're libertarians, but they're really just hardcore conservatives. Yeah, I guess that's interesting because the, the the most I, I've, you know, get into conversations in a variety of different venues and whether uh, the most prominent ones in my own mind of late have been people in um, well, I'm going to say work scenarios, but it's more just yeah. that it wasn't specifically like at work on the job because I don't think that's necessarily a great idea <laughs> to, sure, when you're sure. on the job trying people to People you a, know from work, yeah. Yeah, but people I know from work or, or, or former colleagues, uh, you know, I was recently at a conference for chemical engineering and that's where some of these conversations came up. And uh, and that that's where it gets really interesting sometimes is when you, you know, you start in one direction and then you completely go <laughs> into, you know, yeah. talking about liberty, talking about the gospel even, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but that's, I guess it, as, yeah, I understand what you mean though, that there are a lot of the conversations you're getting into on a regular basis. I mean, for, I mean, for what it's worth, like LCI is all about equipping the church. We direct our efforts toward all people on some level, but we have a very particularized effort yeah. toward the yeah. church. Well, and I think my arguments are often sort of grounded more theologically and that's where I kind of have my basis. And so it is a little okay. tougher for me personally to argue with people who are don't claim Christ as king 
or don't really care too much about Christian principles. So I don't really, I, it's not like I avoid those conversations. I have different conversations. With uh, it's them. different experiences. Just, I mean, once you get, once you get used to the conversation happening, yeah, then you'll be able yeah. to leverage. Yeah. My, my whole, I mean, most of my practicing defense of libertarianism is with Christians. Sure. And okay. so yeah. that's where it is there. You know, the other thing that I think of here when I have, when I think about these conversations is let's say you meet somebody and they're first encountering this libertarian view and they kind of put it together pretty quickly mm-hmm. that if you apply nonviolence completely across the board, that you get to a place that's pretty radical. And in order to keep the conversation going and they don't turn around and run away because you're a radical, you kind of I don't know, maybe this isn't a great idea, but you kind of concede like, well, you know, there is a, there is space for minimal civil governance. I mean, there is the, I mean, we don't reject minarchist as part of the libertarian circle. So oh, sure, sure. We, so there is that whole, like, let's keep the conversation going in order to keep the conversation going. And so you, you kind of, I don't know, you could call it acquiescing a bit, but I uh, would say it's strate- no, I mean, strategic. Yeah, yeah, you're strategically arguing toward a direction while still keeping in mind the goal. Right. I mean, like we, we years and years ago, like Tom Woods used to talk about like using the Constitution as a bludgeon. Yep. You know, to where we if we're smarter in a sense about the Constitution than even our interlocutors at those points, then not only can we make headway towards the more ideal libertarian goal, we can we can make steps along the way by demonstrating that, look, you're not even adhering to the rules that you say you want to follow. Right. You know, or or what you're promoting is a government that is not following the rules that it itself says it's going to follow. Yeah, yeah. And at least we can, you know, I mean, even though we might have our qualms with the Constitution as it stands, like, okay, if if it actually did get followed, then there would be marginal improvement. So at least let's bludgeon them over the head with the yeah. thing that they say that they're supposed to use. Well, I think at the end of the day, when or at the end of the conversation, you want to walk away, hopefully. I mean, like the ideal in my mind would be, did this person want less government in at least one important area? Okay. And if yeah. you if you accomplish that, and again, if this, is, if this is a friend that you continually talk to, then obviously that has a different dynamic. If you're having a pretty quick conversation mm-hmm. with somebody on, you know, Facebook, social media, or just, you know, at work, or you meet someone at a conference and uh, that's not like a work conference and you somehow just start talking about this over drinks and you're never going to see them again because they work at a different side of the country and your company or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, like you come up with these like inner, you know, shorter conversations. Did you convince them that, yeah, you know what? it probably would be better to have less government in this area of society or the economy. And that is, I think, doing the proper directional work, as it were. And if that means they're, you know, I often use Ron Paul's thing, and I think it's in a manifesto. He's like, look, if we go back to the era that the liberals, progressives want to go back to, which is was, uh, well, at the time of the writing of the book was the Clinton era. He's like, well, let's do the math. And like the government was like 60% or some like enormous majority percent smaller than it is under the Bush administration, which I think is when he wrote the book. It's like, well, yes, let's do that. Like we, we, we can start there. <laughs> You know, if everybody became a minister, Can we go back to 1992's budgetary law? Yes, sure. Exactly. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if everybody became a minarchist, then I think we'd call that a better world. Oh, except, sure. except, although here's the thing. 
everybody is probably a minarchist in certain ways. We're just collectively <laughs> minarch. We're like, we we're all just choose collectively different things. Socialist and, no, but yeah. we like all choose different things. So like, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll admit we, we were at a meetup last night, Norm. And yeah. uh, one of the games we played was uh, what's like your libertarian sin. Like you're okay <laughs> with it. So like, I was okay with NASA. Like I really, yeah. I, it's such a small portion of the budget. I don't know why it's probably going to be the last thing I vote away. If it were that we'll talk about button pushing uh, <laughs> either later yeah. or another episode, but NASA is not on my radar <laughs> to, uh, to get rid of. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I will also say things like I'm okay with, if the state is there to only take care of the destitute, you know, like as the, the last social safety net, cause that's a really small portion of the national budget. But, that might be mine. So I'm a minarchist. I just wanted to cover welfare. <laughs> Norm, he might be like, well, you know what? I just want to just, just to make sure that people don't get poisoned or, or whatever it might yeah. be. So we all, you know, we all bring to the table our minarchist point. And then all of a sudden you have a government involved in everything. Yeah. Because yeah, we don't yeah, pick yeah. the same things. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all have to make our exceptions or something to that effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting you kind of pointed out the, the difference in the types of conversations you might get into. Maybe the, the guy that you you know meet and who works at the other side of the country, you don't know whether you're ever going to see the guy again or whatever versus the friend. And, you know, yeah. there's – I mean, friendship is one of those – we've been talking you know, over the last couple of days. You know, friendship is one of those infinite games where the goal is to keep playing. And, uh, and so, you know, to get into, you know, exclusive types of conversations where – if you're you don't want to where you don't want to risk the friendship, maybe you're trying to, you know, just argue a very narrow point with them. And because uh, they kind of they hopefully they kind of know generally where you stand, but you're not trying to, you know, I'm going to go back on what I just said, but you're not trying to bludgeon them over the head with everything that you got with liberty per se. Right. Uh, I mean, granted, those it is a different sort of scenario, bludgeon versus with the Constitution versus bludgeon with everything you got in libertarian theory or something. Uh, but yeah, I can see why, you know, there's a rhetorical strategy that is to be circumspect about what you're doing, even in that very conversation, that you want it to result in a positive move forward and the possibility of keeping that conversation going to the next thing. Because one thing that's, I guess, true is that if you can, if you can start knocking a few walls down, often that can lead to more. And so while we may have our little deviation here and there, and, and maybe all of those deviations add up to a lot, there's still a benefit to being able to say like, you know, yeah, we knocked down uh, the welfare state tonight and tomorrow we knocked down roads. <laughs> yeah, right. But I didn't try to also get you to uh, accepting private protection agencies at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Or something well, to that I think effect. what you're saying is this is a, is a very directional yeah. way of looking at it. And, and the whole infinite game is is an important thing to kind of remember. I mean, oh, well, and, it, and it's knowing your situation. I mean, because yeah. like there's different or there's other different rhetorical strategies here. I mean, there's a book. Our great friend, you know, Bob Murphy has a little book out called Chaos Theory. And the book is terrific. And its premise is kind of like this, is that instead of going one or two steps, like let's, you know, dealing with a small portion, a narrow point about, oh, well, we're going to argue about roads or something like that. It actually is more radical in its scope. It's, its premise is, if I can successfully make an argument for these very difficult things with regards to libertarian theory, namely things like private protection agencies, 
and how does defense work in the absence of the state? And if I can argue successfully to that end, then it should be a lot easier for you to just sort of generically accept that other less seemingly less difficult things will be arguable uh, almost immediately. And, and that, you know, that approach has some value if it's done very respectfully, I, th- I think. Yeah. I think. And, and, and that kind of comes down to, on some level, just your flat-out approach in how you talk to people. And so maybe it, it, there's a part of this is knowing yourself and what you can handle with other people. If you can take that kind of conversation and you can do that in such a way that makes your interlocutor feel accepted and reasonable throughout that conversation and they can walk away going huh and scratching their you know their their beard or whatever and going like yeah that was interesting and and i'm gonna have something to think about versus like this guy was totally nuts or something like that then you might have a better result i think if you're not perhaps you just need to know know thyself oh libertarian yeah and what you can handle with regards to these types of arguments yeah can you get into it and and handle uh, getting into the weeds and making your your conversational partner feel welcome, accepted, and and at least respected. Yeah. In a way that 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 sometimes we libertarians don't always do well at times. Yeah. Um, so know thyself. Is that fair? I, I think so. Yeah. And I and I think it's important that we think about how we how we argue and to some extent. And when I don't mean argue as in like have a you know, heated discussion and well, battle we, or whatever, but well, we just have like, to how reha- do you make arguments? Hey, if we have to rehabilitate the word argument here, then like <laughs> we can do that. Sure. I'm, you know how much I, I, I despise the, uh, yeah, the, right. the negative connotation of argument. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, if, it's if like, you're, you know, I don't want to argue with you. Well, I do want to argue with you because arguing, you know, as, argu- arguing is a positive thing. Arguments is a great thing. <laughs> as we learned, as we learned from Monty Python, you know, <laughs> an argument is a series of statements to establish a definite proposition. That's a great thing. It sure is. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who likes to argue? Uh, uh, Libertarians. Oh yeah, that's amongst true. ourselves. Amongst ourselves. <laughs> What's a good argument that we do as libertarians? Oh man, uh, we like to argue about who is and isn't a true libertarian. Oh, we we do that. So, we argue about what about you know the button pusher. Yeah, the, like you would know, you push a button to delete the state? To delete the state. <laughs> I think we should talk about that a little bit later. Okay, which we might do because um, you know I I think our answers might be enlightening. Who knows? <laughs> um, and we'll get lots of mail. Hate mail and love mail. Who knows? Uh, So one of the things that the Libertarian Christian Institute has aimed to do, and I think does fairly well, is that we try to be as ecumenical as possible while still maintaining our distinctive Christianness, if you will, and also, of course, maintaining our ability to be libertarians. We are not liberty-leaning conservatives. We are not liberty-leaning progressives. We are libertarian Christians mm-hmm. or Christian libertarians. Uh, we use those interchangeably, by the way, for those of you who ask us sometimes, which is the proper way. We interchange them back and forth. But some people want to argue that, well, true libertarians wouldn't make an argument for, and then often what it is is an argument that <laughs> either currently is espoused very heavily by someone who's yeah. like a Democrat or a Republican. Yep. So it could be open borders. Oh, well, true libertarians would never advocate for open borders because 
Well, then I you think just we've fill seen in the blanks. even in the last couple of weeks, like in, in our own big Facebook group, people say, well, a true libertarian wouldn't argue for open borders. Well, a true libertarian wouldn't argue for closed borders or something like that. <laughs> right. As if there's not nuance that is worth discussing. I mean, come right. on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's just jump to, well, you're not a true libertarian. Yeah. Okay. Discussion over. Well, how was that helpful? Yeah. Right. Like, oh, oh, really? I'm not a true. Like, what do you expect someone to say? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Uh-huh. I was never I'm a true not libertarian. A true libertarian. Oh my goodness, what do I do? <laughs> At some point, though, you might not be a true libertarian. What does that even mean? Like, what is a true libertarian? Initially, I think we have to go to the non-aggression principle as being kind of the first approximation for us mm-hmm. that somebody who has an expectation or a belief an ethical position that the initiation of force against people and property is, is, uh, is wrong. That that's not permitted. Uh, I mean, there are, there are slightly other different formulations. And so there might be some consequentialist people out there that we might be able to sort of accept, but for the most part, I think that's our first approximation. Like yeah. that's, that's where I'm, that's where I'm initially going to fall. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, though, I think, I think that if somebody wants to, you know, kind of identify as a libertarian, that they may not necessarily understand that fully yet. Not having a full understanding of the non-aggression principle does not exclude you from being a libertarian. Right, right. So we have to allow for some flexibility there in order to keep, I mean, really, it kind of goes back to keeping that conversation going. Because if, if it's just sort of like, well, you should, you know, open, like, let's throw the hypo out there. It's like, I open the door. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, here's what I believe. It's not quite, it's not quite fully the non-aggression principle. It's like, well, do I just close the door on them? Or do I say, all right, let's keep talking. Yeah. You know, there's, there's room to learn. I mean, in the same way that, you know, hopefully we don't believe you need to have a perfect theology and, and perfect understanding of God to be a believer. Yeah. We expect a certain direction just as much as we expect uh, certain belief constructs, yeah, if you will, yeah. There, there is yeah. a threshold, but that doesn't mean you're like fully, you know. That doesn't mean we toss you out into the woods. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that, and I think that's kind of important. What would you say to a minarchist who says, "Well, they're not truly a libertarian because, well, if they don't fully apply the non-aggression principle, like maybe they've understood this for years, mm-hmm. but they're just like, nope, I'm a minarchist, or nope." Government needs to do this one thing, two things, three things, whatever, pretty minarchist-like things. And an anarchist would say, well, they don't really believe in the non-aggression principle. Like, do you believe it or don't you? Like, that's sort of like (laughs) confrontational. There's been for decades a kind of pact, if you will. I mean, even like the Libertarian Party even used to call it, I think they called it the Dallas Accord or something for some time, uh, where – we accept the fact that there are some differences between minarchist and anarchist libertarians. And, and in fact, I mean, that's kind of why we have adjectives on top of libertarian. We even attach our, you know, and call ourselves Christian libertarians to an extent because what one of the additional things that we espouse besides being, you know, thin libertarians in terms of principles, we believe that it's consistent with Christian theology. Okay, great. That sets us apart from other non-Christian libertarians, if you will. Uh, And that's why we can say that. Likewise, there are other libertarians who have some differences of opinion on certain things, and so they might want to further differentiate or or explicate their 
position by saying, well, I'm an anarcho-libertarian or an austro-libertarian. A lot of people use that inter- interchangeably. Those people who are very, you know, uh, Austrian economic theory motivated and see that the Rothbardian tradition or schema of thought as being very central to the way that they think and act. Great. Okay. We can call that. We know we, we have anarcho-capitalist, which is another kind of variant on that. But then there's some other slightly different formulations that we're not, I'm not necessarily that interested in excluding them, but I think it's, it's fine to have nuanced conversation about that. And with respectful disagreement, we can do that. I mean, if we, if we can't be at peace with people who are like really close to our side anyway, then like, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, I mean, that's a good lesson for us as Christians too, for that matter. I mean, we've seen tons and tons of divisions as Christians on probably bigger issues than even some of these things that we talk about in, in yeah. libertarian circles. And yet, and yet, uh, even despite some of those bigger issues, at least we think we still like understand that, you know, that guy in the the church of Christ over here is still a brother with the guy from this reform church over here. Like that's the way we go. We're on the same side. So that's okay. We can handle that. Yeah. Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin of MereLiberty.com and a contributor here at the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you haven't heard, I'm debating Walter Block on the question of whether a woman has the right to evict or abort her fetus at any time during her pregnancy. This debate will be hosted by the Soho Forum at 3 p.m. on Sunday, December 8th at the Subculture Theater in New York City. Tickets for this event range from $12 to $24. Seating is limited and will likely sell out. Register now to reserve your seat. You can buy tickets at thesohoforum.org. To hear more about my position, you can visit my website at mereliberty.com slash abortion. Do you think there's anything that would, like any particular issue, and this this came up in uh, the Soho Forum debate between Nick Sarwark and Dave Smith, where there was sort of this like, is there a line that you can cross and not really be committed to libertarian principles. And and the one that came up was war. You know, can you oh, be in yeah. favor of war or a particular type of war? Or do you, or can you be like, Nope, never. Or if you're not willing to say no, never, the state shouldn't wage war, uh, like preemptive war, not defensive. Hey, we're protecting our people war. Like then you're not a libertarian. If you don't stand on that principle, like at some point are there principles worth that if someone reneges on that or violates their principle or says, nope, that's not really, I'm not going to die on that hill. Then we can't really say, well, you're not a true libertarian. And again, I'm not really worried about like, well, can we call them a true libertarian? But like for you personally or or me, like at what point are we like kind of off the reservation? There may be ways that I could still find common ground and work with them for a common goal in a very limited sense, because I still might want to share my values with them. Yeah. Um, because that would, especially like, I think war is a pretty good example of a place where like, especially the idea of preemptive war. I mean, we've, if you severely differ from like Ron Paul on this, then I would severely question your libertarian bona fides. What do you think is going on there for people who call themselves libertarians, but they have a strong national defense mentality? Uh, very confused. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you think? 
And well, again, I, would, I, I guess I, I would have to ask them, of course, but I was like, we don't have them in our room right now. So yeah. we'll just talk about that. Oh, you mean that guy over there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, man. Hey, hey Randy. Yeah. <laughs> there Whoa. is no Randy in this room. Uh, I guess I have often wondered, like, well, why do they think they're libertarians? And, and that's kind of where I would be wondering is like, why do you, what about your political philosophy makes you think that this is okay? Yeah. It seems to me like one of two things would need to be the case is either you really are just going to be like very confused. And I would want to know, like I tried to figure out what that point of confusion really is, or perhaps just perhaps there is some extremely narrow point or scenario or something that they are thinking of that has not yet been elucidated, which perhaps is a might make you say, oh, OK, I see what you mean. All right. Like, well, like all right, maybe, maybe we're getting somewhere, but we kind of need to like, I mean, there's a lot of complicated yeah, even yeah. definitions of oh, what, yeah. you know, is there a possibility that they've misunderstood the term preemptive or what we think is preemptive yeah. really they, they is realistically is more what we would call like that's defensive. I've heard, I've heard some objectivists, for instance, that um, want to use this kind of existential threat argument for preemptive war. And I would say that is not libertarian. It's like, I don't care. That the way you're elucidating that you're like, well, this is really defensive because the existential threat is there. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, we have to, we're not talking about the existential threat of like, you know, okay, you don't have to wait until the robber is pointing a gun with you and is in the activity of pulling the trigger before you get to defend yourself. Okay. I get that. Yeah. Like you can still yeah. defend yourself before the trigger has been pulled, but it's a very different argument from, well, you know, Iran may have a nuclear weapon. And from there, I've literally heard this said, like, well, they're certainly developing them. I've literally heard, I've heard people say yeah, this. Yeah. And that justifies the preemptive measures that, yeah. well, because they, they could or something like because that. Because they could. Yeah, that's pretty thin. That's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, it's not crazy. It's not crazy in the sense that, like, they have a rationale for it. Yeah. But that is not libertarian. Right. It's one thing if North Korea drops nukes in the Pacific Ocean to threaten us. And then you realize, oh my goodness, they might actually do something and then we might need to protect our people. Like that's like the They're, whole, like he's pulling a gun on things. you. Yeah, he's pulling a gun on you rather than they may have them. Well, I mean, but like, I don't think we've, those types of analogies don't hold at this point. Like there's a very- They are hypotheticals well, for but, a reason. <laughs> yeah, but but like even the scale is different. Yeah. And like that's why you can't use them as yeah, metaphors yeah. in this case. Like metaphors break down you know, and like there's a very different thing going on there. And so trying to make that kind of argument. So that yeah. again, those this is where I might, you, you know, you say, OK, you're trying to make this very narrow point. Now you're going to start making this metaphor. Now I have to break it down and understand what you're trying to argue. Yeah. And then and only then do I get to kind of like make the assessment. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So speaking of very narrow points. OK. Are you a button pusher? Am I a button pusher? Do you want do you know the story behind that? <laughs> sure. Are you a button pusher or well, are you a button well, first smasher? Of all, we, <laughs> yeah, you know the story. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's me inviting you to tell the story. Okay. Okay. Well, so what Doug is referring to, which is a, is pretty fun, is that there, there is a sort of libertarian hypothetical that you sometimes will hear. And this has been around for some time. It goes back to a, a Rothbard article from, uh, I can't even remember the year at this point. I mean, who knows? It might have been before we were born, for all I know. Or for all I remember, I should say. Um, but the idea being is like, if you had a button in front of you that could just delete the state, would you do it? Is that button that deletes the state, would it result in chaos? Because some people would say, well, deleting the state would result in immediate chaos. Everything would get crazy. So that's a negative to the activity. But 
on the other side, you know, you have, you would say, okay, well, does a libertarian, we advocate for the abolition of the state in the long run, uh, one way or another. And so, well, can I do that sooner rather than later? If I had a button, would I do it? Because I would accomplish it sooner rather than later. And that's a good thing. And the market will work itself out or whatever. You can make, you could try to make those arguments. And I mean, it's a hypothetical that tries to get at one's propensity for the radical position of abolition of the state and how you would explain it. Of course, the joke is, and if you, you actually, there's a recording out there somewhere of a lecture with Roderick Long at the Mises Institute at one point talking about this argument. And you will hear in this recording, because I was at this talk, you will hear me say, well, you know, after he asked the question, well, will you push the button and delete the state and what happens on the next day? And uh, and you hear me say something akin to, well, do I still have the button? And you hear the the crowd, you know, kind of laugh and whatnot. And uh, and Rod says, uh, you know, oh, we've just found out that Norman is a button masher. And <laughs> and. and <laughs> And, and as you can obviously tell, I was kind of fighting the hypo, as they say, and to where I'm, you know, not really, not really wanting to agree to the terms of the hypothetical. And, uh, and okay, well, you know, right. for better or for worse in this case. <laughs> I mean, if I could still delete the state, then, you know, just keep pressing the day after yeah, day after yeah. day. I mean, that seems like that'd be pretty good until we figure it out, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I, th- I think the opponents of that would say things like, well, wouldn't that do real harm if, if we abolished it right away? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a, the nuance of it is like, yeah, there's obviously there's going to be like tough spots along the way, even as it pertains to the gradual abolition of the state. And, but the point on some level is like, how, how dedicated are you to the goal? Yeah. You know, I mean, we certainly are, if, if we had the ability to delete slavery in 1860 in the United States, could we push a button and do that? Would that be a good thing? Would we do it? Yes. Yes, right, we would. Right. right? Despite the chaos even. Because it's the right thing to do. And if I could press a button and delete the IRS, would I do it? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I don't know if there's any residual bad effects of that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess a few jobs lost, but I mean, they're, they're capable of getting rehired. It's not the same. Perhaps. Yeah. But, but I mean, the, the, these are like the, you know, the end, sort of secondary arguments to that. It's like, to what extent are we willing to press buttons in other scenarios? And, and I guess that's sort of where we want to try and drive that form of argumentation. Yeah. It's like, yeah. all right, are you radical or are you not? Are you willing to see these things go away? Yeah. And that's what the, the button pusher argument is all about. Are you willing to just see it go away? Yeah. I, th- I think my answer to that would be I, I would want many buttons. You know, like yeah. not too many. <laughs> I, need like, a, I need an array of buttons in front of well, me. Well, like not one button for every piece of legislation or something, but like think of every, you know, all like 20 to 30 really major. Do I have access in, to the issues. command line of the. Right. Of the command. <laughs> just root in and. Yeah. yeah. Irrecoverable. Yeah. Don't Del, even need the button again. Dell IRS.exe. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no. So I would say, hey, give me, give me an array of buttons or levers to pull, and we will pull them in a certain order, and it will oh. do the least amount of harm. Oh, so that sounds like the subject of another podcast. Yeah. So I'm going to push the button at the end of this episode, and you're going to have to wait till next recording. episode <laughs> to find out which levers will I pull, which That's levers great. will Norm pull, and in which order. Wow, we really ended this podcast effectively here, didn't we? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs>
Listen to us next week. Tune in we'll next time for priorities for button pushing. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.